Good morning. The reading this morning comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stopped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth had been covered, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' face and head were, was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which in Hebrew is teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go, find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. This is the word of the Lord. Am I on? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Doesn't seem like I'm on. Okay. Well, happy Resurrection Sunday to all of you. And it is early. We were here for sunrise. I know some of you were saying, wow, it's so early, 6.15, and you made it. The sun has risen, and so has Jesus. So it's great to be here with you this morning. Um, our sermon today, if you have the, the notes in your bulletin, it's entitled, A Way King for New Life. And so as we proclaim today the resurrected Jesus to be a way king for new life for all of us, um, that's actually going to be our point for today because we're sitting outside. Um, we didn't want you to have to mess with filling in points in your sermon notes. Um, but there's this one line awaking for new life. And so I want us to practice that because through the sermon, I'm going to kind of be prompting you. And when I point to you, all can you say that really loudly? So let's practice. Okay, so the resurrected Jesus is, and you will answer, please. Let's try that again. The resurrected Jesus is, Okay, better. We're going to say it a few times, so it should be perfect by the time we finish today. 
Because not only are we awakened to new life through the resurrection, but we know that Christ is the only way to this truth and this new life. Okay? So the resurrected Jesus is... Great. So I want to thank Michael for reading our scripture this morning. Um, this passage is one that I love. It's miraculous in so many ways. Not only do we learn that Jesus is risen, miracle of miracles, but in the span of 18 verses, we go from darkness and deep despair to Christ's light that births renewed hope. If only in real life it took 18 verses to get there. These last two years especially, hasn't it felt like we have been in the darkness and a place of despair? You know what? I just realized I have my mask on. I'm going to take it off. <laughs> I'm outside. I don't need to do this. Um, friends, after two years of a pandemic and a major jolt in how we do business, how we do school and church and life with each other, we're finally seeing some restrictions be relaxed. Although I have to say, yesterday I had a conversation with my daughter in Washington and she just shared with me that they're back to a mask mandate at her college. So this is Washington State, at least. There have been starts and stops as health experts, government officials, businesses, schools, and yes, churches have tried to figure out what is the best way to be able to move safely forward in life with COVID still lurking. Life has been anything but normal. Death really has happened. Loss of loved ones, illnesses have been on the rise. Conflict has escalated, especially within families. People have given up on church and even God. These are all heavy weights that warrant going to the place of pain, the tomb of Jesus, the place where Jesus' body had been laid to rest after his enduring the worst imaginable thing that could happen to any human being. Falsely accused and sentenced to death. The crucified Christ was presumed dead until this moment at this tomb. I want to take us to that tomb now. In your mind, I'd like you to imagine and picture this place that Mary went to. And when she gets there, she's shocked to find that the massive stone covering the entrance has been rolled away. Scripture tells us that upon finding the open tomb, she runs to find Simon Peter and another disciple who loved Jesus, presumably John, and Mary concludes and reports to them that someone has stolen Jesus' body. Why in the world would her mind go there? They watched Jesus die on the cross and be placed in the tomb. He was dead, right? So what else could have happened? And if they really believed that Jesus was dead, why go to the tomb anyway? What would compel you to go to the tomb, a place 
where hope seems lost. Let's unwrap that a little bit with a question. Yeah, what could have been Mary's reason for going to the tomb? Some say that it was to further anoint Jesus' body, but for me, I think that seems unlikely after three days lying in a tomb, sealed off with a big, heavy stone. You can imagine, right, after three days, a body laying there. No reason is given in John's narrative. So could it be deep sadness and a feeling of loss compelled her to make her way to the tomb? She loved Jesus, and he had shown her great love, casting demons out of her, freeing her to new life with him. What about the disciples, Simon Peter and John? What made them run to the tomb when Mary called them? Curiosity? Perhaps cynicism and disbelief that he could be alive? Or possibly hope that he was alive? After all, after seeing only the linens that had been wrapped around his body and recalling Jesus' words, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Mark 9, verse 31. So there was reason to hope. Then there are those who didn't feel the need to even go to the tomb. After all, Jesus was dead, and if anything were going to happen, it would have happened by now, right? Lazarus was raised from the dead after four days, but there was a very living Jesus present to make that happen. Or perhaps these people that didn't show up at the tomb, they just hid away in isolation, afraid to face their fears that the Messiah was gone, or talking themselves into disbelief that he was who he said he was. Yet you and I are here today because we know the truth. The resurrected king is... Come on, work with me. <laughs> okay. We know that Jesus rose and he defeated death. And yet, haven't we in some way or another, especially in these last couple of years, been faced with doubt and despair in our hopes for something better? As we think of the tomb as a metaphor for the pandemic or perhaps the darkest, painful part of your life right now, ask yourself, who in this scene do you identify most with at this time? Could it be you relate to Mary who goes to her place of pain, bringing with it all of her despair and sadness? Or maybe Simon, Peter, and John who are curious skeptical, yet possibly hopeful, and just need a little bit of reassurance? Or how about the no-shows who don't know, who don't care, and possibly have just disconnected with feeling and doing and being in a close relationship with Jesus? And you probably know going to that place that feels tomb-like will be recurring for them, 
but also for us as we encounter different things in our lives that trip us up. Sometimes it may be the same thing even over and over that brings us back to the tomb that points us toward and reminds us of God's hope that he is at work in us and around us. About 30 years ago, I hit one of those stumbling blocks and some refer to it as a thorn in our side. It's kind of always been there with me. But because it's been about 30 years, I've been able to process, to work through some stuff and sort of pinpoint more about the problem. And the problem was that my relationship with my dad seemed to change. And it seemed to change 30 years ago when my mom died. It was gradual, but from my perspective, I just irritated him. Sometimes by virtue of just being in the room. This is at least from my perspective. But it would always get worse when I made choices that didn't align with his values. And let me just say, as my relationship with Christ grew, the divide between our differences and values grew with it. My 30-year story with him has involved me moving back into our family home a couple of times and out of our family home a couple of times. The moves home always causing some angst for me and the move out always being on pretty bad terms. The last time my husband Nathan and I moved back in with my father was when my kids had reached elementary school and middle school age and they had just been accepted at a school in the neighborhood close to that, our family home. And my belief was that after having been apart for a couple of years, really mutually cut off from each other for a couple of years, was that it would be a good thing for my dad to have his grandkids around him more regularly. The move back was after a lot of therapy, a lot of prayer, a lot of sitting and working through stuff. And I was convinced that Nathan and I could do this with our family. And things were good for a while, until they weren't. And when my dad would get irritated, things that would bubble up from him were that I was just like my mom, which to him wasn't a good thing because their marriage wasn't a good thing. There was also resentment for choices I had made that resulted in my life turning out very differently than from what he had imagined, despite my trying. Until finally, I just couldn't take it. And so last October, we moved out to what has been the first peaceful home that I have ever lived in, where I could invite people over with no worries and concerns, where I could come home whenever I wanted to and just relax, where there would be no more cowering and feeling like a disappointment in someone's eyes. So my moment of going to the tomb was gradual because I carried a deep sadness with me all of the time. Even though I was relieved to be free of an oppressive living situation by the time we had moved, 
I had convinced myself to let go of the hope that my dad and I would ever reconcile. This time, you see, he had stopped talking to me for four months before we had decided to leave. I would enter the same room as him, and there would be, it would be as if I was just invisible. There were no goodbyes when we left, and I'm not sharing with you this morning all of the details because it is painful and because I do love my dad. When Nathan and the kids and I moved, there was this release of pressure, but a big hole in my heart. And with occasions like New Year's, where I would annually cook for him all these Japanese traditional foods, I wondered what to do when New Year's was coming up. And I felt sad for him in that big house, pretty much by himself. I felt lost, so I did cook. And I sent the food up to the house through my sister, and it was okay. There was no response. I didn't expect one, but it was okay. I felt okay. And then in February, as I continued to just go to this place of pain where I could be very sad, I felt stirred to cook again for him, to make him a pot of stew, knowing that. It would help my sister and my brother-in-law, who had stepped in to really tend to my dad's medical needs now, and also because I knew that he loved stew, he loved homemade stew. Being at the tomb, I felt the changes in attitude and heart for me, where I could try to still give to him without expecting anything in return. Just as Mary found Jesus in her place of in her place of pain, so did I. Well, friends, on this Easter morning, remember, despite the pain, there is always good news. The resurrected Jesus is. Yay! And John 14:6 reminds us, Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Jesus, both human and divine, was sent by God to teach. And to reach and proclaim the faith through engaging in relationships with other human beings, even enduring the hard ones in the hopes of things being better. Jesus, who helps us to recognize our brokenness and our sinfulness, and being the ransom for us, so that we could be reconciled with our Father in heaven and have this eternal life together. Jesus' death and resurrection was out of a profound and immeasurable love for you and for me, love that meets us in our times of need. In Mary's time of need, Jesus met her. Mary was beside herself with sadness, and the missing body of Jesus was the breaking point for her. And so, as Mary wails and sobs. And this is according to the Greek translation that she was wailing and sobbing. She seemed oblivious to the fact that angels are sitting there inquiring, "Why are you crying? That's not your usual occurrence." In fact, she is so much beside herself that she misses Jesus standing right beside her, even mistaking him as the gardener. And allegedly a body snatcher. 
This is what I love, though. Jesus comes to her. He receives her in her sorry state. He's used to being mistaken for an ordinary person. He doesn't get upset at her accusations, but instead he gets her attention by calling out to her, saying her name, Mary. And then she realizes it. It's the teacher. It's Jesus. And right away, the same Jesus she has known, he picks right back up with teaching and listening and affirming and reminding and entrusting and loving Mary. He even gives Mary, an unseen and unlikely person in this day and age, an important mission to go and share the good news that the resurrected Jesus is okay waking for new life he will go to be with his father in heaven just as it was prophesied like mary jesus wants to bring renewal to you and to release you and i to be vessels of christ's light to those around us and let's face it while we may want to stay at the tomb and just be there in our sorry state, Jesus has already awakened and he deeply desires to awaken something in you too. Now, I don't really know, but I do wonder why Jesus appeared to Mary as a gardener. But Pastor Rebecca shared with me this a uh, couple weeks ago, a devotional book written by Kate Bowler and Jessica Ritchie. And it's entitled, Good Enough, Devotionals for a Life of Imperfection. And they offer these possibilities about Jesus the gardener appearing to Mary at the tomb. And some of them are humorous. Like, maybe it's because he stole the gardener's clothes since his were stripped and gambled over. Maybe because where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, a tiny, beautiful detail that reminds us that death is never too far from life. Maybe Jesus looks like his dad, the first gardener who tended Eden barefoot. Maybe Jesus looks like the new Adam, the head gardener for the new Eden of the new heavens and new earth. Maybe it's because he carries the pruning shears of a vine dresser the careful tender of our souls, ready to pluck and to plant and to uproot and to cut back. Maybe he looks ready to cultivate new life, to pull us toward resurrection with his fingers digging in among the worms. Maybe this gardener looks like he knows something about hope. Hope that Mary desperately needs. You see, friends, although Mary mistook Jesus for a gardener, Jesus can show up to any one of us at any time, in any way, through a person's kindness and compassion, through a beautiful sunset or sunrise, through the cool mist bathing your face and wiping away the salt left 
from too many tears that have been cried through a bowl of stew. That night that I sent the stew up to my dad's house with my brother-in-law, I felt released. Why didn't I realize it sooner? What stopped me from trying to serve or do something nice for my dad? Because really, I wasn't angry at him anymore. I was actually feeling grateful that now I had this place that felt like home and that I could breathe. What stopped me from moving past my place of pain? Fear? Fear of rejection? Maybe when I started asking the question, what have you got to lose trying to move past your pain? That same night, my phone rang, and it was my dad's number on the screen. And that was my moment of disbelief. When I answered, his girlfriend said hello, but she put my dad on the phone. We said, Cheryl, thank you for the stew. It was very good. How are you doing? And that conversation to me was like Jesus showing up to Mary on Easter morning. It meant everything. It unwrapped hope for me. So I ask you, what have you to lose or gain in trying to move past your pain, your doubt, your place of darkness? In Mary's eyes, Jesus came as a gardener. After all, who knows all about hope after a time of dormancy, or how to till the soil before planting the seeds, or who better to water and pluck out the weeds whose timing is the right time for something to sprout and grow. I continue to see Jesus mending my relationship once again with my dad and feeling led to navigate our relationship differently now, healthier. I then look forward to cooking for him weekly now, knowing it is something that I can do for him. I really believe that he actually does look forward now to my seeing him every Tuesday. Friends, if you were to meet Jesus today, would you recognize him, you think? If you're like Mary needing to be awakened, what is it that you have been lamenting or asleep to or running from? What will awaken you to the hope that Jesus brings from knowing him? knowing he will always show up for you. We often think of the new year as a time of new beginnings, right? January 1st, new starts and changes for the better. And I think when you receive Christ into your heart, as you begin this journey unknown with him, you discover that new beginnings actually come on Resurrection Day. If you have not received Christ into your heart, Today is the perfect time. And while admittedly you may not see or experience dramatic change right away with how you act or how you think or how you feel, it really is a journey of discovery and possibilities for hope. You have the assurance of salvation and an eternal home with our Heavenly Father. But before that, you are given a gift 
this gift of a relationship with Jesus and a hope that he will be a way king to a new life in you. All relationships take time to nurture. And Jesus, who left behind the strips of linen cloth at his grave, reminds us of the hope unwrapped when we stand in his presence, giving ourselves fully to him. Jesus invites us out of the tomb and into the light, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Ephesians 5.15 In a few moments, we will be inviting you to what has become a tradition here at Wellspring, and that is the flowering of the cross that is to your left. What symbolizes Jesus' death also symbolizes his resurrection. And we want to celebrate new life that comes out of Jesus' death. Kathy provided all of these beautiful flowers that you see, and Doris and her daughter Sandy and granddaughter Gracie made them into little clusters for you to decorate and flower the cross with, and they're all on the table to your left. After we pray, our worship team will play, and we invite you to come forward and take a little spray of flowers and place it on the cross that Jonathan Wong has especially created for our sunrise service. Families, feel free to gather your keiki if you want to come as a family. And after service, please feel free to come up and take photos together to remember this day. So as I now close us in prayer, if you've never made a commitment to follow Christ, and today is the day that you would like to receive Jesus into your heart, I will pray a short prayer, and as I do, I invite you to repeat the words as I say them. If this is you, please, please let one of the pastors know after service so that we can rejoice in this day with you and also walk alongside you on your new journey with Christ. I know there seems to be a lot of instructions, but for all of us as we pray, I have one more for you. Would you do this as a gesture of your openness to receiving God's hope? Think of something now in your life that needs awaking to new life. Perhaps it's your heart that feels hardened. Then I ask that you place your hand on your heart as we pray. Perhaps it's the way that you are thinking, being critical, or having a negative mindset. Then go ahead and place your hand at your head. Maybe it's a lack of energy to serve. Place your hands palm up to receive from God. Or maybe it's a physical ailment that needs healing. Go ahead and put your hand on that area that needs God's healing touch. We go to the tomb, the place of pain, to meet Jesus, the giver of new life, hope, and of course, love like no other. Jesus invites you to unwrap the hope that comes from awaking to new life. So go ahead and place your hands where you feel you would like Jesus to come 
and bring healing, and let's pray. Risen King, we cry out hallelujah, for you came, you lived, you died, and you rose again. Father, your recovering us is not just a one-time occasion. You know the depths of our need to be rescued again and again every day. Lord, today we recognize that while this feels like the end of the story, it's because of the new beginnings you offer us. As you called upon your disciples and you call upon your followers, those who believe and declare you to be Lord and Savior of all, we anticipate the good news being shared and many more coming to know you. Father God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray today if there is anyone who doesn't know you and has a desire to, I ask that they would quietly say these words that I'm about to pray. If this is you, just repeat after me, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you died for my sins and then you rose. I confess that I am a sinner and ask you to forgive me. I give myself and my heart fully to you, receiving you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for others that you have walked alongside, Lord, with all of this time. Your tomb symbolizes a heavy weight in our own lives. Some of us have come bearing much sadness and loss, Father, or feeling isolated and unwell. Some of us are just very angry and frustrated that our world, our life, our relationships are not what we'd hoped for. Yet we remember that you offer us hope. You meet us at the tombs of our darkness and offer us light and new life. So wherever we may have our hands this morning, on our hearts, at our heads, our places of pain, with our arms, our hands outstretched to you, Father, we ask that you come and tend to our wounding and to our woes. We ask that you remind us, just as you reminded Mary, the disciples, and all the non-believers, that you are the one who saves rescues, redeems, and restores us from death to new life. You are the one awaking us to new life. In the powerful and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our, our Lord, we pray these things. Amen.